Good morning, fellow disciples. It's good to be together, isn't it? I had the privilege of sharing the Word of God with you a fortnight ago, and we talked together about how we are a community of disciples, a family of disciples. And we looked together at how the, the family of disciples, the church, is a family of covenant love. And we talked together looking at how Jesus spoke about his disciples when his own mother and brothers came to visit him, that a family of disciples are a group of people who are concerned with doing God's will. We're concerned with doing God's will, aren't we? We're concerned too, and we're focused and centered on Jesus Christ. And we also look together at how disciples are those who are convinced of doing the word of God. Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Amen? Amen. And so I've been asked to continue that on this morning. So I'm going to talk to you more about having a passion for the word of God. And we've talked this morning about a God who is great, haven't we? So I'm going to tell you some great things about our great God. Should we pray a moment? Lord, I thank you that your word is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And able to divide even between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Judging the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Lord, without your word, we have nothing to live on. Bread cannot satisfy Clothes cannot truly keep us warm, but only your word causes us to truly live. So we are hungry for your word. We love it more than food. We treasure it more than riches. We value it more than homes and clothes. We love your word. We have a passion for your word. And as we open it now, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would know you better and serve you better. Amen. Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to look at an instance where Jesus helps his disciples understand his own passion for his word. You see, God has a passion for his word. The title of my message this morning is God's Passion for His Word. We've heard a lot of things this morning about what God wants. I want to challenge you. You need to be very careful if you're going to stand up in front of God's people and tell them that God wants something. You better know that the word says it. Because there are things that God wants. God has desires. God has passions. God has longings. Paul speaks of Timothy in Philippians 2 as a man who doesn't live looking out for his own interests, but looking out for the interests of Jesus, which tells me that Jesus has interests. Now, I want my life to be one lived for the interests of Jesus, not for my own interests, because we're disciples who are concerned with doing the Father's will. I don't know about you, if you have um, a passion or a hobby, something that you love doing. When I was growing up, I had one passion, one thing that excited me more than anything else, and that was music. I loved music. I loved playing music. I loved listening to music. I loved learning music. Uh, I I remember finding a a guitar in in my dad's attic. I don't know what I was doing in my dad's attic. Um, And I I taught myself to play the guitar, and I would learn uh, songs as best I, I could. I lived and grew up in the days before Spotify and YouTube and legal and or illegal downloads. So if you wanted to to, to get a a music, you either had to listen to it on the radio and try and tape it while it was playing. And the the skill was, could you stop the tape before the DJ started talking? (laughs) Do you remember those days? Yeah. 
Or you had to actually go out and buy the music. You had to go to a shop and buy the music. And, and, and do, do we still buy music or do people just kind of download it now? I don't know. But when I got a paper round, my first real job, after tithing, like collect tortoise this morning, always tithed any money I earned, I would spend a lot of my money on buying music, go into uh, different music shops and, and buy the latest CDs, and I would absolutely devour them. I used to love, love, love listening to different kinds of music. But how did I know what to listen to? How did I know what to buy? Well, I had a guide. It was a, it was a, a magazine called Q Magazine. I used to religiously buy this magazine every single month. It would cost me two or three pounds of my hard-earned paper round money, and I would devour this magazine. I'd read all the interviews at the beginning, and then I'd get to the back section, and they would review all the music that was being released that month, and then they would give it marks out of five. So if Q Magazine gave something five out of five, as a good disciple of Q Magazine, I had to buy it. So I still remember the day when I took the magazine home, and uh, they'd given Supergrass's album, In It For The Money, five out of five. So being a disciple of Q Magazine, I went out and bought In It For The Money by Supergrass. It cost me 12 pounds or something. 12 pounds! And do you know what? It was brilliant. It was fantastic. It's still one of my favorite records now. Uh, I remember then, later on in the same year, they, they gave OK Computer by Radiohead, five out of five. I thought, well, Q Magazine says five out of five. I'm a disciple of Q Magazine. I've got to buy it. And I bought it, and it wasn't so good to start with, but I trusted Q Magazine because I put my faith in them. <laughs> And you know what? Eventually, it was brilliant. <laughs> this is how I would live my life. <laughs> but then, do you know what? I started to find out that they weren't always right. And, you know, they'd give an album four or five stars, and I'd go out and buy it, and it was terrible. Even on the third or fourth or fifth album it, listening, it was terrible. And then there were other albums they would give one or two and say, don't, don't buy this one. And then I'd hear it from someone else, and I'd find, Q Magazine was wrong. What do I do now? I put all my faith and trust in this guide that was going to teach me how to become the expert in music. But I couldn't rely on it anymore. So I had to stop buying it. Stopped spending my money on something that couldn't lead me in the right way. I was fortunate, though, when I was growing up, too, that I discovered another guide that never, ever, ever let me down. And that was the Word of God. And I found in every situation and circumstances I read my Bible that it always led me in the right path. I remember going away on a, a youth Bible week one year, and um, at the end of the week, the youth leaders had produced this little A4 sheet of paper for us, and they said, we want you to be ready for your next year in school. So what we've done is we've prepared a list of scriptures for you that will help you overcome any situation you face in school for the next year. Or things like what the Bible says about itself, what the Bible says about prayer, but things like what the Bible says about temptation, what the Bible says about sexuality, all these things. And I kept this piece of paper with me. And do you know, if I ever faced a challenge, I'd go to the, find the piece of paper, find the scripture, turn it up. And do you know what? Without fail, every time the scripture worked. I learned that the word of God was completely reliable. I put it into practice and it worked. I would tithe bring my, 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 off, my, my tithe to the Lord, I'd give offering, and he would bless me. I had a paper round where you got bonuses if you never made a mistake. And in all the time I worked for that news agent, I never made a mistake because the Lord had blessed me. I would find I would be in school and one of my friends would be sick and I'd be nervous and I'd be terrified, but I knew the Bible said if I laid my hands on them that they'd be well. And I would find a way to pray for them and, and show what happened and they would get better. Because even if I was nervous, even if I was unsure, the word of God always works. I found something that worked. 
wasn't a theoretical book. And it wasn't a kind of supernatural mechanics guide. You know, sometimes we, we treat the Bible as if it's, it's there to help us out in times of problems. I don't know about you, but I only really consult manuals when something is broken. If the car's not working, I go to the manual. If, uh, if the dishwasher's broken, I go to the manual. I don't really spend much time reading dishwasher manuals just kind of for fun. Well, I really want to know what this setting does. Maybe you do. But that's not what the Word of God is for. It's not merely a problem-solving book. It is the Word of God that reveals Jesus Christ to us. And so I learned after a while that I thought I was someone who had a really great passion for God's Word. I thought, yeah, I've got it down. I have a passion for God's Word. And then I realized that I didn't at all. I didn't at all. Because it's not about whether I have a passion for God's Word, or you have a passion for God's Word, or for any other area of Christian life, a passion for prayer or evangelism or care. The question was this, have I caught God's passion for his word? Have I caught God's passion for his people? Have I caught God's passion for the lost? Have I caught God's passion for justice? You see, if I have a passion and I am its source, it will ebb and it will flow. If I am trying to reach the lost based on my own passion, it will ebb and it will flow and it will eventually fade. For my power is limited and my strength is limited. But if I have caught hold of God's passion for something, his word or for prayer or for discipleship, for community, for evangelism, if I've caught his passion, I caught his heart, then there is a never-ending stream of strength and resource within because his passion is unending and his power is never-ending because he is eternal. I'm not here this morning to tell you that I am passionate about God's word or to try and get you to be somehow in your own strength passionate for his word. I want you this morning to receive from him his own passion for his own word. You see, a disciple doesn't just learn certain skills from God. A learner is not here just to learn some patterns of life from their master. We are here to catch the very heart of our Lord. And his heart beats with passion to see his word lived by and put into practice, performed and fulfilled. He loves his word. Do you know, even the most passionate reader and actor of the word of God doesn't love it as much as God does. So I'd rather live with his passion for the word than my own. So we're going to read a a story now about when Jesus helped his disciples understand his passion for his word. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 24, and we'll begin in verse 13. This is an account after Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus has been raised from the dead, amen? He's been resurrected. Now that same day, two of the disciples were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. One of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked them. 
So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near to the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were saying these things, he himself stood among them. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? He asked them. And why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands and my feet. Is it me? Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you have see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still were amazed and unbelieving because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. A great story, a true story. It's a story about how Jesus took disciples from a place of despair to a place of faith by revealing himself to them through his word. You see, Jesus knew that these disciples were going to be the people that were going to change the world. He knew they were the people he was going to send out into the world to proclaim the gospel. He knew these were his chosen people, and so he knew that they needed to have the right attitude in heart and mind towards the word of God if they were going to fulfill the commission he was giving them. If we are going to be the people that God wants us to be, if we're going to be those who make disciples of all nations, if we're going to be those who claim this city and regions beyond for him, we have to have in our minds and in our hearts the right attitude towards the word of God. The word of God is the word of God. It's living and active. 
It's God-breathed. It is useful for every area and situation of life. It always works when I put it into practice. It's not a book of suggestions. It's not an optional extra for really hungry Christians. It is the very life we are led to live by God. God has exalted above all things, Psalm 138 says, his name and his word. There's an inextricable link between the name of God and his word. His word is his will. His word is his character. If you want to know what God is like, read the word. And you'll find out what he's like. So I want to show you some things this morning that Jesus wanted his disciples then, and he wants his disciples today to have towards the word of God. Jesus, first of all, wanted his word to be believed. Very simple. Jesus wanted his disciples, and he wants his disciples today, to believe his word. Look at verse 25 with me. What does he say to them? How unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. What does he say to them in verse 38? Why are you troubled? Why do, why do doubts arise in your hearts? You see, these disciples had heard Jesus tell them time and time again, both in parable and clearly, what was going to happen to him. He'd he'd told them. He'd said the Christ is going to suffer and die and be raised again three days later. He told them. He told them, but they hadn't believed him. They didn't believe the women when they told them. It's a good lesson for all men, isn't it? Wise men listen to women. But they had not believed what they'd heard. It wasn't that they hadn't heard. It was that they didn't believe what they'd heard. Why was Jesus so concerned with their hearts? Because Romans 10 verse 10 says, With your heart you believe. With your heart you believe. And believing affects living. Okay, Because he, he who hears the word and believes it will do it. Don't tell me what you believe by what you say. I know what you believe by what you do. Let me give you a practical example. If meeting together as the church of God is a priority for you, you are here regularly on a Sunday. You don't need to tell me theoretically that I I believe meeting together is important. I know it if you're here. I know it if you fellowship with people throughout the week. You don't need to tell me. I just look at you. (laughs) Do you understand? I believe in tithing. But do you tithe? Well, I don't actually do it. No, I just believe it theoretically. Then you don't believe it. Okay? You, you, you do what you believe. Note the change that Jesus has on these people. Verse 32. Having spoken to Cleopas and the other disciple, he says this. They say, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was walking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures, time with Jesus, believing his word, will set your heart on fire. Jesus, next of all, wants his word to be understood. I'm going to explain this very carefully to you. He wants his word to be understood. Look at verse 27. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. In verse 45. Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I'm not talking about head knowledge this morning. We're not talking about ticking boxes and going to all the Bible study classes you can. We're talking about revelation. And the reason I put this one second is that understanding always comes after believing. 
I have a friend of mine, and when he joined this church, he didn't believe that, um, he personally didn't believe in the uncovering and the covering of the head that we teach and practice from 1 Corinthians 11. He didn't believe it, but he believed that this was the church for him to join. So he said, well, I, I believe this, this is where God's told me to be. They teach this. I don't believe it myself, but I'm going to submit to their authority, and I'm going to submit. And as he submitted, he had a revelation. Because understanding comes after believing. Do you understand? Of course you do, because you believe. <laughs> and God wants us to know, too, this morning, that true understanding comes from him. And true understanding relates to him. You see, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Because he is the source of all revelation and understanding. He wants to open your mind this week to understand the scriptures. You know, sometimes we think of getting ourselves ready to spend time with God. And yet, on the other side of the relationship, God is so excited as you get ready to spend time with him. You know, you're getting ready for your, maybe you're going to sit down before you go to work and read the word of God. And you're thinking, Lord, I just asked you, you'd, uh, you'd open your word to me. And on the other side, he's going, I can't wait to speak to you. Oh, if you just put these things out of your mind and stop worrying about the bills and forget about the film you watched last night and just listen to me. I've got so much to say to you. Do you know, God is, I'm sure that you love him, I'm sure you do, and I'm sure you're excited about being in relationship with him, but he's even more excited about being in relationship with you. It's like the best date night of the week, isn't it, really? But it's every day with the Lord. God wants you to understand his word is all about Jesus. And therefore, it's about you in a secondary way. You are not the focus of God's purposes. Jesus is. But we're in Christ, so we've been allowed to be part of his purposes. Amen? I am tired of seeing Christians live for themselves when it's contrary to the word of God. To be a Christian means this. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And therefore, I live for him. When we've got that, this city will not be difficult to take. Third thing is Jesus wants his word confessed. Jesus wants his word confessed. Verse 14, let's look at what Cleopas and his friend were doing. Man, I'm, I'm glad the other guy's name isn't in, heaven, you know, in the Bible. He's going to be hiding in heaven. No, it wasn't me with Cleopas. No, no. <laughs> what they were doing, verse 14, together they were discussing everything that had taken place. Now, do you think they were having a faith discussion? Look at verse 17. What does Jesus say? What's this dispute you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Do you know, faith will never lead to discouragement. The word of God will never produce discouragement in your life. That's impossible. You can't read the word of God and believe it and then be discouraged. Because faith produces courage, strength, edification. You should leave this building this morning built up, encouraged, edified in your faith. And look at the change. Go back to verse 32 again. They said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was walking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Do you notice the change in conversation? You see, they thought they knew what had happened in Jerusalem. And they were saying, who's this guy? He doesn't even know what's happened to Jesus. <laughs> it was Jesus, and he was the one who really knew what had happened. But Jesus said, boys, let me just change the conversation. Let me just change the confession. Let's not talk about our problems and our situations. Let's not talk about defeat. Let's talk about the scriptures. Let's talk about the word. 
You know, I have, I, I have friends that I, I, I meet with, and we just, we're talking about different bits and pieces, but we just can't help talking about the Word. The Word just comes out. Amen. This is what the Word says. I was reading this in the Word the other day, and I think, those are the friends I want. I want. These are the friends I want. I love listening to people talking about the Word of God. I love it when the Holy Spirit says to me, James, that's for you. You know, he doesn't just teach me one-on-one. He teaches me through you. You see, the man most taught of God is most willing to listen to others who've been taught of God. Let the word of God change your confession. Confession is not to be limited down to saying amen at the end of a preacher's sentence. Confession is all to do with saying the same thing as God. (laughs) Therefore, your words for the rest of your life can be all in line with God's word. That's a powerful confession, amen? Jesus wants his word to be believed, to be understood, to be confessed. He wants his word to be loved. This isn't some dry academic professional relationship we have with the Bible. We don't read the Bible just to kind of assuage guilt, to pacify God, to make sure the elders don't tell us off. Just in case our life group leader asks us what we've been reading week by week. We read the word of God because we love God and we love his word. And there are days when we'd rather not eat natural food than miss out on a spiritual meal. That's what tomorrow is all about, by the way. We're fasting and praying. And the Lord's going to hear us. If you didn't agree with that, don't come to the meeting tomorrow. Look at verse 32 again. The disciples said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was walking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Do you notice that? Their hearts were ablaze. They were excited. There was an emotion involved. They couldn't wait to talk to other people about what they'd heard from Jesus. Is your heart ablaze this morning? Were you excited to come here and meet with God's people? I told you the story about my obsession with Q Magazine when I was younger. And um, I could order it from the shop around the corner from my house where I lived. And the secret was, you knew that if you ordered a magazine directly from the shop, it would arrive and be available for you a few days before they put it on the shelf. So I knew this because I was one of their paperboys. So I knew they kept all the reserve magazines behind the counter before they put them up on the shelf. So I would get, a couple of days before I knew the magazine was coming out, I'd go and see, is Q Magazine there yet? No, James, go away. (laughs) I I know it should be in maybe tomorrow. Is it here yet? No, James, go away. I'll tell you when it's here. (laughs) Every month I used to do this and the guy would get annoyed with me. But I was so eager and excited to read my little magazine about music. I couldn't wait to get my hands on it. Are you like that with the word of God? thinking, I cannot wait to get out of bed this morning so I can get into the scriptures before I go to work. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to read all about Leviticus. Woohoo! <laughs> I listened to a man recently, and, and he, he'd, um, he, he said, do you know what gets me out of the bed in the morning? <gasps> the thought of my first cup of coffee. I thought, well, you know, I like coffee. Good for you, but I'm not sure that it would get me out of bed every morning. But the thought of having time with God in his word that he loves and I loves, man, that can stir even the sleepiest person out of bed in the morning. God wants his word to be loved and God wanted his word in these disciples and in us today to be lived. To be lived. Again, in that same verse, in verse 32, what did they say? They said that our hearts were ablaze while Jesus was walking with us on the road. 
Do you notice that he didn't take them off to the side and sit them down in some seminary class to explain the scriptures? He said, if you're walking, I'll walk with you and I'll explain it. If you're traveling somewhere, and boys, you're traveling in the wrong direction, by the way. You're meant to be back in Jerusalem. But if you're traveling this way, I'll walk with you and I'll teach you the scriptures. Do you know, as you go about your daily walk, as you walk from where you're going, as you go to work, you go to school, you go to pick up your children, you run errands, the Lord is available to teach you and help you live your life. It's your lives, it's your lives that this city is going to notice and see. There's something about you. What is it? And you say, well, I live my life according to the word of God. It's not, I, I attended 15 Bible classes. That's what makes the difference for me. No, I live my life by the word of God. They'll see, you raise your children in a way that I, I don't. Your marriage is different from mine. You always come top of the class. You had this big difficulty in work and yet you've overcome it. This, this guy, he was bullying us all, but you were able to just rise above it. What is it about you? I live my life according to the word of God. Because Jesus wants his word to be lived. Jesus finally wants his word to be fulfilled. Look at verse 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me, everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. God is a God who fulfills his word. God is a God who completes everything he starts. The longer you wait for something, according to God's promises, the more sure you can be that it's going to happen. That's the testimony of Abraham. The longer it went on, he was waiting for his son. He said, well, I'm more and more convinced it's going to happen. That's Romans chapter 4. Because God is a God who always fulfills his word. He always fulfills his word. Everything he's promised you, he will fulfill. You think, I've been waiting 15 years, James. It doesn't matter. God's going to fulfill it. Everything he's promised this church, he will fulfill. Everything he's promised in his word, everything that he said he's going to restore, according to his mouth spoken by the prophets, he's going to restore. But James, it's been 2,000 years since he, he was here. We're closer than ever before to his coming. In fact, the longer I live, the more convinced I am that Jesus is returning in my day and generation. I'm not playing games when I say that. The Lord is exciting me in these days that his return is imminent and it's possible to see in our day. Let me show you what I mean. Ezra chapter 1. Let me show you. I'll just give you this one example from the scriptures. I've been excited as I've read this. If you go to 2 Chronicles, you'll find the book of Ezra between Nehemiah and 2 Chronicles. I've been really excited as I've read this scripture the last couple of days. Because God is a God who not only intends on fulfilling his word, he's a God who actively works to fulfill his word. You know, God isn't forgetful in his promises. You don't bring a word back to him and he goes, oh goodness, I'd forgotten I said that. Oh I, yeah, Whew. I had promised to restore all things. Gabriel, how did I forget that one? Whew. Anything else I've forgotten? Uh, well, you, you promised um, in Zion no one would say I'm ill. I said that? How did I forget that one? Gee. God's not like that. He tells the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, I am watching over my word to perform it. You think you're bringing a word back to God to remind him. He's saying, I was watching that all over long, and now I'm ready to release it to you. He's watching over his word to perform it. But in Ezra 1, we read this. We've read about and heard about a great God this morning. 
Well, watch this. God is about to move the heart of the most powerful and important man in the entire world at the time. Ezra 1 verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken, uh, the, the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The Lord put it into the mind of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and to put it in writing. And you read on what God does. Did you see that? There's a word that's got to be fulfilled. That God spoke through a prophet. So what does God do? Does God say, well, we'll just see if any of my people are really bothered. And well, uh, times have changed. You know, the political situation is different. So maybe I'll just leave that one on the shelf. No, because he's spoken a word. And because it's going to be fulfilled, he stirs the heart of a pagan king. Do you understand that God is working behind all the machinations of history and politics in our day? Do you know he's in control? He doesn't turn BBC News on and really panic about the Crimea. He's really not worried about the tube strikes in London. He is working and organizing and administrating everything that at the end of the age, all things will be brought into Christ, whether things in heaven or on the earth. He's in control, folks. He's going to fulfill his word that he promised you. He's going to fulfill his word he promised me. He's going to fulfill everything he's spoken of about himself in the word of God. That will fill us with great confidence and great hope. If you walk out day by day knowing, I know God's going to fulfill his word. I know he's going to complete it. I know he's going to finish everything that he starts. Then you can live with great confidence that your life is going to be lived in purpose and destiny. Because he who began a good work in you is going to complete it. Any of you ever collect sticker albums or photo cards or anything when you were kids? God would have been the kind of kid who always completed the book, you know? Because he always finishes what he starts. And he finishes things gloriously. Now we know that God has a passion for his word. We know that God has a passion for his word. So what can we do to cultivate that passion in our lives? I'm going to give you a couple of things you can do this week and then we've got a an exciting thing we're going to be doing as a church together this week as well. So let me just say a few things that you can do to cultivate this passion in your life. First thing is this. If you want to know God's passion for his word in your life, cultivate a passion for the God of the word. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I don't love the word of God because I happen to like reading books. Or because I prefer it to prayer. I love the word of God because I love the God of the word. Develop a passion for the God of the word. Next thing is make room for it in your life. Make space. Make room. Paul puts it this way to the Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is there room in your thinking? Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your life for the word of God to work? If the Lord said to you, I want you to give one night a week to prayer for evangelism in this city, would you have time in your schedule to be able to do that? Is there time, is there room, is there space in your heart and your mind and your plans for the word of God? Because after all, the word of God ought to be the foundation of our plans. Be continually filled with the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the true interpreter of the word of God. And determined to do everything you hear in the word. Jesus said, as we looked last time, that my family are those who hear the word of God and do it. So 
So this week, we're going to take an opportunity together to discover afresh God's passion for his own word. So we're asking the whole church to read the book of Colossians this week. There'll be some books in the weeks to come that those of us who are ministering will be asking us to read as well. But we believe God wants to reveal to us this week his passion for his word. We believe God wants to speak to us through his word individually and corporately this week. So we're going to take time this week. We'd encourage you, if you can find time every day, read the book every day. It's four chapters. It'll take you, what, maybe 15 minutes, maybe 20 if you read it out loud. That's, you know, maybe fast EastEnders for one week. Get up a little bit earlier, go to bed a bit earlier. Maybe um, decide to read it on your lunch break in, in, instead of um, Hello Magazine or I don't know, Q Magazine. I don't know if they even make Q Magazine anymore. But determine this week you're going to find and make time to read the Word of God and expect God to speak to you. You can uh, email us, you can... Um, Write into the elders and let them know what God is saying to us. And we'll be sharing in life groups in different situations what God is saying to us. But this week, we as a church are going to be reading, meditating, studying, confessing, believing, and doing all that God says in the book of Colossians. You are all going to receive fresh revelation of Jesus Christ this week. Every one of you. Everyone who's on kids' work, everyone who's in the car park, we're going to receive fresh revelation of Colossians. Maybe read the word of God together as a family. Maybe read it out loud as a husband and wife. Maybe, maybe do all kinds of things. Meditate on one verse at a time. Pray it back to God when you find prayers in Colossians. Pray it back to God. But this week, God is going to reveal to every single one of us afresh his passion for his word. Should we pray together? Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that this morning you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as surely as you wanted your disciples on the Emmaus Road to have a passion for your word... You want us too to share your passion for your word. We thank you that your word works, Lord Jesus, when we put it into practice. That your word says if we lay our hands on the sick, they get well. Your word says if we bring our tithe to you, you pour out the windows of heaven upon us, Lord. Your word tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. Your word tells us to be content with whatever we have, knowing that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We could talk all day and forever, Lord, of how you have proven to us that your word is true. But I ask this week that for all of us, Lord, you'd reveal your word again to us. That as we open Colossians, you would speak powerfully to us and through us. That first and foremost, you'd reveal Jesus Christ to us. That, Lord, you would teach us more about him and his person and his work. And that, Lord, you would speak to us not only individually but as a body, Lord Jesus. That we may be a company of people living with your passion for your word. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.